You're listening to the Render Queue from FXPHD.com, covering VFX, motion graphics, and more from all around the world. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time to download the podcast. I'm John Montgomery, one of the co-founders of FXPHD. This is the second episode of the Render Queue, where we discuss what's going on at FXPHD, as well as do interviews with people associated with FXPHD and just doing interesting things all around the world. Later in the podcast, we're going to have a conversation with Warren Eagles about his recently released Resolve version 15 training, and also a conversation with Kirill Peshikov, a Russian artist who's teaching his first course at FXPHD. But first, a bit of news, a catch-up of what's going on. In last week's podcast, I mentioned that we'd have a new Houdini course coming out this week, but that's going to be delayed another week, and so in its place, we're launching a new After Effects course, and as I mentioned, we're going to be speaking with a prof in a bit, so really excited to get this course out. It's the first of several new After Effects compositing-based courses that we have here in the works at FXPHD. In addition to that, I want to thank those of you who've checked out the Slack channel. Uh, it's starting to pick up a little bit, at least having a few conversations now, but I think it will gain traction as we have more and more people join. And if you want to join the Slack channel, just head to fxphd.com slash Slack. And if you've been a member in the past or a subscriber in the past, then you will have access to that page. We'll send out a, an invitation to the Slack channel to the registered email that you have at FXPHD, and then you can join our Slack channel. Well, that's it for the news of what's happening at FXPHD this week. I know it's a bit brief, but I'm heading off to Italy for the View Conference. Um, we'll be having some interviews from there later, but uh, that's it for the news. Render item number one. Our first conversation today is with Kirill Plezhikov. He's a Russian-based compositor. He works in both After Effects and Nuke, as well as other applications. But for the course at FXPHD, he's going to focus on After Effects. The course is entitled City Environment Compositing in After Effects. It's a 200-level intermediate course. He's going to work through a shot with a lot of um, problem solving in it um, to, in order to make the shot work for the short film that they're working on. The short film is actually in progress right now, but he's been kind enough to share the footage with us here at FXPHD. For this one, if you want to put the shot on your reel, you'll need to get his permission, but that shouldn't be a big deal. You're actually going to learn a lot from the course. I want to get a bit of background about Creel. It's interesting. He hasn't been in the industry too long, but he got his, before he was in the industry, he was actually a deckhand on a, you know, a ship out in the ocean. So he talks a little bit about being out at sea for long periods of time and isolation and so forth. But let's go ahead and cross that conversation now and get a bit of background about how Kirill got started in the industry. I don't have a big number of years in CGI industry. I do computer graphics for about five years already, and only half of them are the years that I worked in CGI studios as a compositor and lead compositor. I'm one of those guys who love working 12 hours a day, every day, if the hell follows it. And I absolutely love computer graphics. And before I uh, get to the industry, I was a seaman. Uh, I mean, the guy who travels the world and does all this hard work on the deck at sea. Right. So I had maximum amount of concentration for learning stuff, but making my own stuff and uh, you know when nobody bothers you in the middle of the ocean with no internet nobody and you can concentrate that's how i learned stuff if uh, you want me to talk about the experience in the cgi studios i worked on three of them 
that means. I mean, in the mm-hmm. Russia, in St. Petersburg, and uh, there are Russian studios in our local studios, CGI. They are, made, uh, they are making miniatures and CG with miniatures. So they use only compositing as a CG and everything else, like effects, you know, are done like footages, like hmm. explosions or some. We are shooting something and uh, integrating it into the shot. So uh, the compositing is the only computer graphics that is used in this studio. And I still work there for now. So I'm working on it already two years. It was divided to two studios. I work on both of them and uh, do freelancing stuff. And for now, I'm developing my own army of freelancers from the people who I trust and I do projects by by giving the projects to freelancers and take percent for the work, for supervising, for leading them. In general, how do you see the market there? In Russia. Yeah, in Russia. It is... Uh, a baby. I mean, the market of CG, the uh, post-production market, it is doing right now some comedies, maybe uh, some uh, like uh, mainstream movies, uh, but it's uh, just starting to make something that is realistic enough. I mean, uh, for the sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. And the Russian film font doesn't give money for those who didn't prove themselves to be a great uh, directors of uh, sci-fi movies and it is still developing it is still developing i must say i don't think that uh, in uh, like uh, future two years or three years the movies from Russia will become very famous in the world. The Hollywood will always be in front of everything. Well, there's some amazing work being done in Russia, both independently and from studios. I think is there a I see the company CGF right is based in Russia. They do some pretty amazing work, I think, and, and among other places. CGF is uh, the main beast. They do a lot of interesting stuff. They are doing a lot of uh, research and development in uh, the aspects of CGI where nobody in Russia has gone yet. And that's because everybody in Russia wants to work with them. But <laughs> I, I don't want because I haven't got a Russian passport and I have an ability to I have an ability to work somewhere where I like to go. But uh, I'm Russian speaking. I'm Russian. So that's why I'm uh, here with my friends and uh, doing uh, freelance stuff and managing projects, uh, doing some stuff by my own, I mean. And that's possible in this connected world nowadays, right? That's uh, We yes. have had quite a few members of FXPHD that have actually joined companies and partnerships. They kind of met in the forums and distribute the work around the world, actually. Well, that's cool. Well, we're excited about having you involved in FXPHD doing a couple courses centered around a project. Can you kind of give us a bit of a background on the overall project that you're showing? Not specific about the course, but what this project is. This project, when we started, we decided to make a side story of uh, Robert Checkley's original story, Something for Nothing. It is uh, a short sci-fi tale of Checkley, where the guy gets a device from the future and it makes any his wish to come true. And that's why he starts to be hunted by some guardians from the future. And the rest are actually spoilers for this <laughs> short tale. If somebody wants to read it, he can. It is not not very long tale. And we just wanted to make uh, some sci-fi movies uh, that are... Um, being inspired of old movies such as old Blade Runner. The new Blade Runner is actually good stuff also. 
and old Terminator, maybe Star Trek and some some other old movies, sci-fi movies, and we are inspired by them. So we wanted to choose something that can be done uh, in this style. So we chose Robert Sheckley for this and started to developing uh, our uh, short film, which is a part of feature film. And we just finished shooting of it. It took about three years. It is a really big term for a short movie for 25 <laughs> minutes, I know that. That's because it was mostly done for free on the enthusiasm of people. And the director is one of those guys who likes to do everything by his own. I mean, everything he can. And that's why I like him. I, I'm the same. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's why I joined his team and wanted to help him. So uh, when the people came to set, uh, they uh, were all working like one big alive family. I mean, one big alive organism, you know. So they all came to have a good time, not for the work, for money. And that's why the project now, if you watch them montage, uh, if you watch the edit, I mean, you feel some atmosphere of it. Because mm -hmm. everyone has inputted their soul into the project. So that's why it's great and I like it and I keep pushing it forward. And now it's the time where I will get most of the job because uh, the post-production has started and I will take uh, all the freelancers I've got and make a small studio and start uh, doing the post-production. The director is finishing the block of edit and we will start the post-production now. A labor of love, I guess, though. And yeah. Of, uh, fun and, and a chance to express creativity. So yeah. what are you actually going to be showing in your first course? The first course scene, actually the first scene that was shot in this uh, sci-fi movie with city matte painting. Compositing of it, we already will have the matte painting and the job will be to composite it with live action footage together, merge it together. I will show some workflow tips for working in After Effects to avoid the inconveniences of uh, layer-based compositing when you can't see every pre-composition at once and you want to adjust something in different parts of your project and you can't, you can't get inside of pre-composition which you need. You need three screens to view them all at once. So I'm, I want to like avoid this, this problem for people who use After Effects. And I'm also covering some techniques of merging the matte painting with uh, the footage and uh, city matte painting uh, animation. So at the end of the course, people will finish uh, a complete live action shot with city matte painting integrated into it. And I also said uh, in the end of the course that if they want to put it inside of their showreel, they can contact me. So that's why I uh, throw some contacts into the course folder. Uh, and I'm uploading the zip file now. So what I liked about the course and I found really interesting is that and in a lot of the courses you see sometimes everything works perfectly. The matte painting's beautiful, the CG's perfect, the green screen's pristine. In your course, you kind of dealt with the reality of what actually happens in production a lot of times or, you know, where things aren't necessarily perfect. And I think that's there's a lot of problem solving. I think that's part of your course and is frankly part of any compositor's job. Right. I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. being artistic, but it's also being a problem solver. It is uh, what artists always face on work and it is what he needs to learn before he gets to work i think this way so that's why i'm showing uh, some shots that are making the artist to solve the problems that's how you learn you know 
that's that's how you learn solving the problems. Yeah, that's I, f- I find that very true, and that's when you really get to know the tools better. Being pushed to do something that you f- haven't even done before, too. Sometimes, you know, it's like that. It, that happens. Um, that does still even happen to me. You know, after all these years, there's stuff like, well, I haven't run into that before. I'm, I need to yeah, find yeah. a solution. With everyone. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about compositing in After Effects? I have a really difficult time doing it. I can do it, um, but I'm I'm used to, you know, Flame, which is was not a layer based, um, but there's also Batch with a 3D compositing environment. How do you end up in After Effects? I have uh, one big thought about it. I am not uh, end in After Effects. I use After Effects and new combined, actually. I know them both good. And I uh, had a shot that made me to use them together combined. Mm-hmm. For example, if you need a lot of uh, 2D animation with morphing and compositing together, and you are a generalist who does this shot, the only one. We once uh, shoot an actual eagle on the green screen i mean the bird the eagle Mm -hmm. on the green screen to put him inside of aerial drone shot not into the middle ground i mean the close-up of it the camera flies through the eagle it is the first shot in my showreel and we see his eye and it is close-up of eagle and i used the nuke for compositing of war camping which is background of all of it, I mean, the war camping was done on the plate. The war camping with all the tents of uh, soldiers and stuff that includes all the complicated projection stuff that can be done in Nuke. And the layers and uh, channels are very helpful for that. And after that, I just outputted my uh, final passes of it and throw it into the After Effects. And after that, I done the final comping and 2D animation and warping of that eagle, which was handheld shot. Mm-hmm. It, the, the eagle was shot on handheld by some black magic, I believe, in on hand. And it was stabilized there. And after that, Kate there out. And then I did all inside of After Effects. So uh, you just have to, I guess you have to choose that tools uh, which will uh, help you receive your uh, goal, uh, achieve your goal faster. So After Effects is faster at 2D animation. You can uh, do the 2D animation inside of viewer faster than in Nuke. It is, it is easier there. So that's why, uh, that's why After Effects is better than Nuke in some cases. Mm, better than node-based compositor, I mean. That's interesting because I you know, I've always thought it's a tool for the job. It's funny, that reminds me back in the day when uh, Flame ran on big Onyx 2 workstations and cost a million dollars. One of my requirements from my employer was I also needed a, a Mac next to me with After Effects on it. You know, oh. so <laughs> I'm like, Man, because, that's... you know, there's things that in there that were better. The plugins, type animation, topography, especially in broadcast design and commercial design. I needed to have the both. And at first, he he, he had no problem spending the million dollars to buy the flame mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. would complain about the uh you know several hundred dollar cost of after effects at the time yes, like, yes. What? It, <laughs> the, this is this is a big plus for after effects yes you can buy for 50 dollars i believe in month a bunch of programs yes and uh, you will if you are a one-man band and you are familiar with some other products you will be fine with the dyna- dynamic link system actually the other uh, 
products, the Nuke Studio has the same thing, but everybody is familiar with Premiere Pro, not Nuke Studio. I think mo most of the people are familiar with Adobe, so they will be comfortable with Dynamic Link and all these products that Adobe gives you with After Effects. Well, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for doing this course. Uh, by the time the, those of you listening to this podcast, the course will be released at FXPHD. And this is just the first of two parts as well, because you do have another five or so part course coming up, right? That looks a different style yeah. of compositing in the different scenes. Yeah, the same environment solving problem on post-production, but with 3D renderings this time, not 2D paintings. And uh, yeah, there will be different compositing techniques there that uh, will be needed to solve the shot. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Render item number two. Next up in this podcast, I'm going to chat with Warren Eagles about the new Resolve version 15 training that was recently released at FXPHD. If you want to find out more information about it, you can check out at fxphd.com slash resolve15. That's resolve15. Warren's been a longtime friend of us here at FXPHD. Um, we had, I think, the first in the world uh, online Resolve training curriculum or course here at FXPHD back in the day. And that's in the day when Resolve was hundreds of thousands of dollars. The supporting gear for doing a telecine transfer, you know, added a million to that. So it was really a very specialized niche product at the time. But it's been well over 13 years of our relationship with Warren. I'm really happy to have him back uh, teaching a new version 15 course. Now, usually we do about two years break between the Resolve training, but they're doing so many new advancements and features in Resolve that we thought it'd be great and Warren agreed to redo both the fundamentals and the advanced courses for this year's release at FXPHD. So let's go ahead and cross that conversation. Um, before we get there, though, I do want to apologize a bit about the audio quality. I really want to have this conversation with Warren, but we're having a bit of internet connectivity problems between Australia and the United States for the recording. But I think it's still uh, legible, still works. So let's go ahead and cross to that conversation now. One of the things I thought would be interesting to talk about is kind of where you see your courses fitting in with other offerings out there. I mean, you know, obviously there is other training, but kind of what do you think, what do you try to do with your training to kind of set apart from the other things and really make it stand out? Well, it's, it's interesting, is it? Because I was just recounting back, I think it's the 11th season we've done this. <laughs> uh, uh, and when we started it, I, like, uh, I had no idea what like a, an online university or online training was. It was sort of unheard of, and I suppose we were sort of groundbreakers in a way, which was hard, and it was good and bad because it, it was good that we were the first ones so we didn't have a lot of competition, but B, there wasn't much of an audience out there that had a resolved system that <laughs> right. was underground, did they? No, no, not so, so much. It's, it's changed hugely in in the way the whole online training works, and that's, you know, Lots of people are getting involved in it. There's other people doing training. And we find this as well in the classroom training that we do through the ICA. I think my classes uh, fit at the, probably more at the, the upper end of things. I think giving the footage away is a big advantage. I think talking to the camera and trying to personalize it to keep people's interest. Because one of the things and the feedback I get when people do online training, it's so hard for them to concentrate. 
they got all this other stuff going on in their day-to-day lives and they just really need to engage. You've really got to treat this training like you're in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And by engaging and trying to look at them and go, hey, come on, concentrate, I think that helps. I think maybe that is a slight point of difference. Good quality media. Uh, I try to keep the jokes fresh, but that's difficult, you know? <laughs> after, <laughs> after how many years? After a decade? I, uh, I need more material. People say, have you got any new material? So I've got new footage. I don't know about new jokes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I like about this, from my standpoint about what you do is it's always, you know, it seems centered around the craft. I mean, obviously you're, you're teaching resolve, but for me, what I like about it is around the craft of color grading, you know, that you're, you know, in the end, it's, it's, it's about the images, stupid, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's what you create. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, John. There has to be a, a, a balance in there. You know, I could go through and take a tool about every single box of the software and what all the chicken is going to be a pretty boring class. So I try and mix it up a bit going, well, this you definitely got a tick. This you can dig in later. And once you've got some experience, you might want to change, but this is what your clients are going to want to expect to see. So clients are going to be looking at those things. And, uh, that's good because that's what people need. They need to know what is their expectations from clients. So, that's one of the things I try try and put in there. Uh, hopefully that works. Yeah, I, I think it really does. And I think one of the other things that's good about it too, that uh, you're, of course, I think you're upfront about what things work and what don't, you know, or not necessarily what don't, but like the right way of doing things, you know, stuff that you've kind of gathered over the years from doing actual real work, not just being someone who's, you know, solely teaches resolve but someone actually yep. in the trenches and dealing with customers. I mean, I, I find that in like some of manufacturer training when we first started doing it, like, I'm like, okay, okay, that's great. But you know what? That actually doesn't work that way in the real world, honestly. Um, and I think like doing my flame classes, one of the important things is actually say, okay, this is, this is great, but this is really what you need to do to get the job done in a real way and on the job. Yeah. And you only really get that through, a mixture of working on things. And one of the good things I find here in Australia, especially where I am, it's not the busiest place here in Australia for work. So really I have to color everything. So that could be your your lower end, just for online only, corporate or YouTube clip, right up to your feature film, which is not big budget, but it's medium budget, it's indie budget. And everything in between. That's your commercials and all your different formats and a lot of your consumer things. You know, one of the classes I like and one of the classes I really liked, enjoy, really enjoyed doing this year was the uh, in the advance Warren's top 10 problems you get asked. <laughs> things that I come across a lot of the time. And I enjoyed that. That's the sort of class I like because you're solving problems. A, a, we're trying to create cool images for our clients, but B, a lot of the time we're just fixing stuff, aren't we? And the faster we can get on, fix this problem, then we can go and do the cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. The reality is you do spend a lot of time fixing stuff and dealing with technical flaws and or uh, flaws in the image. You know, something happened on the shoot. You're, you know, you're, you're not always getting that beautiful, pristine footage with all the dynamic range that you, you know, you would ever want, right? You're, you're having to some, you know, 
it's a natural thing. You know, some clients want their footage to look like that blockbuster film, but frankly, sometimes they don't shoot it in a way that makes it easy to happen. Yeah, I know. So one of the things that I think of is that when I try and do these more advanced classes, I could have just remade what I did last year, but I thought, well, there's people that are looking for more stuff. Obviously, there's a new stuff in V15, so that's why I tried to make it a bit more interesting with the drone class, with the 10 things, the ACES color managed class. That makes it interesting for me because I think if I just sit there and remake it just using new software, if it's not going to be interesting for me, it's not going to be interesting for anyone else. So that was the sort of the thinking behind that, just trying to keep things fresh, I suppose. Yeah, the, the other thing too is, you know, this is the first time we were discussing before we started recording, this is the first time that we've done back-to-back releases, I think, with new training. So why don't you speak to that? Like someone who bought the advanced training last year, um, you know, there's a lot of, in fact, the, the new advance is all new. <laughs> um, or, you know, a vast majority of it's all new. Why don't you talk about that for someone who, you know, bought the stuff last year, what's the new stuff bring? Well, initially we go through about two lessons on the new features that I like. I mean, it's a huge list of new features, so I haven't done all of them. Things in there like shared node, LUT browser, layer mixer, composite mode browser. Uh, the subtitle thing's huge because as we well know that, you know, it's like 75% of people will have their sound down when they're watching any sort of trailer, promo, or movie online on their phone. So everything, obviously, we do for this and what we now do for the ICA, we have to have subtitles, and the subtitling tool is really good because I'd mucked around doing it the old way, and it's pretty painful. So, and then I've gone on and I've done the usual things like conforming, any class you need to touch with that, adding a reference movie, the really important things. So there's lessons there, but we've mixed that up with different media. We've got some DNG media. We've got some baked media. So normal workflow things, which I think you've got to have in a class. Advanced tracking, using the three different ways of tracking. And sometimes people forget that. The different nodes. um, Obviously, a lot of the questions I get in the classroom is I'm never sure what node to use. I'm working. I'm getting paid, but I'm not sure... If there's a better way, could there be an easier way? Could there be a cleaner way? So that's just explaining the nodes. And sometimes, as I say to people, resolve can be incredibly complicated, but other times it can be very simple, very easy, clean, and you've got the tools there. Every situation will be different. And that's something that I find as well. Uh, advanced as well, like the drone class was good fun. Uh, Introduction to ASUS, really, talking about ASUS and Resolve Color Matched, how that can change your workflow as opposed to just working in DaVinci YRGB, which is its standard mode. And then I've got finishing at the end where I touch on Instagram framing, different things that we need to do if we are being the finisher, which I find more and more colorists are. They're taking control of the finishing, and that includes even up to people like Netflix who have certainly now pushing the bar on let's, you know, get these shows 
over the line, finished with their different formats and deliverables. So the IMF tab, which is now in Resolve to finish, it's sort of been driven by people like Amazon, Netflix, and those guys are trying to make it easier, I suppose, and DaVinci are trying to make it easier for us maybe in smaller shops, not the bigger post houses, to, to be able to deliver these shows. Well, that's an interesting thing, too, as well, is that as the product has expanded, and, and, and since it's been um, purchased by um, Blackmagic Design, I mean, it goes, grows leaps and bounds every year. So the capabilities of the product, like Resolve, have expanded. So it's only a natural extension that you would want to cover that output because, hey, they've put in editing. Um, they put in other things. And in fact, your courses were actually edited in Resolve. We didn't use Premiere. <laughs> we didn't use, you know, they actually, Jimmy used Resolve to do it. And so... I think more and more people are kind of multitasking, as you say, especially in smaller shops, that there may be editors who are picking up Resolve now or graphic designers who are picking up Resolve now. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. He probably cut the first one on Final Cut 7, did he? Or yes, maybe even- yeah. from Final Cut to Premiere and now under Resolve. So. <laughs> yeah, I think, he, I think he had a pretty good experience with it um, because obviously he's, he sat there looking through the classes uh, of me for so many years. So he's picked up a fair amount of resolved knowledge. Uh, not that I can teach him anything about editing anyway, but uh, I think so. And let's talk about the the fundamental class, the first, yeah. first one that's actually got any editing in it, which again was interesting for me because I've edited things. I've never worked as an editor. Most people will know that. But again, as a colorist, I have to do more and more finishing, which can be conforming, which can be editing. And I've always cut things, but they've mainly been small projects, little pet projects or little corporate things that I've got involved in editing. So I can edit. So I felt well qualified to be able to offer editing at a basic level. But just if you're a DP and you've got to put a showreel together, if you just want to put a little one minute for online, things like that, the resolve is ideal. Surely... You know, if you've just cut the last two Star Wars pictures, you're not going to be picking up my classes to learn editing. But I think most people know that. Mm-hmm. There's so much stuff being cut, isn't there, John? Like, you know, it's unbelievable the amount of content being produced. And, you know, Resolve is a good tool for that, certainly at a simple level, but I think it's growing as well because I know going through the, with a training company where I go and visit shops – Few of them are switching to Resolve now, and it's starting to happen for editing. Well, I want to ask, ask you more about your other training that you do, as well as your website. But um, yeah. also, real quick, I'm actually, you know, to that point, um, I'm actually using this podcast as an opportunity to learn the Fairlight tab uh, a bit more. And actually, I'm making a run to see if I, you know, I can can I use Resolve to do um, to do these podcasts? Just because, you know, it's, I feel it's a good way to actually learn and see and dive into what, what can be done. Um, but one more thing I want to talk about really quickly that I, I wish more people would take advantage of, and I don't think they understand how fucking cool it is, is the looks and matching masterclass. Now, that one is not new. Um, that one is the same one from last um, the last release, but it's still amazing. Um, it's, it's an opportunity to actually have some looks um, reviewed by you um, in the forums. Why don't you talk about that? Because it's, I think it's brilliant, and I wish more people took advantage of it. It really came around because people were requesting it and saying, oh, I know you do your looks classroom class, which is a two-day thing. 
we can't get there. We can't understand. Can you do it as an online thing? So uh, we did last year, and there's I think about seven different sequences in there. There's a there's a car commercial, there's a GMC truck ad, there's a beauty ad, there's a courtroom drama scene that's shot with four different cameras. There's a music video, and I go through it and talk about you know how I would grade it and show different looks and showcase them. And there is the chance if you take the class that you can upload a section and I will review it and go through it and we can post it in the forums and people can see what you've done and share and talk about it. Now, I think that's pretty cool. It hasn't been as well received as maybe I thought, but I know people are really busy and I'm busy as well. But certainly if you want uh, a mentor, I suppose, in a way is what we could call it. Um, you will get feedback on what you do. Uh, it is version 14. I saw no point in reshooting it because I basically have been doing what I do for a lot of years. I'm not going to change it because there's new software. So it really stands up still. That's why I left it. It's very current, I think. I think there's some cool stuff in there. I still still think it stands up. Yeah, and, and again, it's a, it kind of brings that thing into trying to bring a little bit, and we can't do it, obviously, in our online format, is to bring a little of that in-person training, too, which I think is great. And one final thing before we start, we talk about uh, stuff that you do, uh, in addition to FXPHD, I just want to mention uh, that we we did send out a survey to everyone who had purchased, well, I think, all the Resolve training that we did, <laughs> fast-forward training that we did over the years, asking for feedback. And something people brought up was... Um, we want more footage. So we made a real effort to do that uh, with the advanced course. I think there's like 20 to 30 gigs of, of footage of all variety from red to drone footage to everything else um, that people can actually use um, to learn as well as put on the reel. Uh, yeah, two, there's two wins there. One, you follow along the cl- with the classes with exactly the same footage and see how it performs on your computers. But also you can obviously use it uh, in practicing, you can use it in reels, you can use it to comp stuff up, you can use it in completely other lessons. So if you decide, oh, I'd like to cut up this drone footage and not necessarily do what I did with it, there's no rules in the classes, which I quite like. <laughs> People could cut a complete montage up of the footage and do something different and could upload that into the, uh, into the looks and matching forum. You know, do something different with it out of the box. It's like I... So you can you can learn so many different things by just playing around and trying things, which is it's a good fun about color correcting. All right, so that's that's the FX PhD stuff. But you have some really brilliant training, and and I think it goes kind of hand in hand with the online training, right? I, mean, I think that you can't replicate in classroom training and so forth. But let everyone know about your website and and the training that you do, as well as your podcast that you have. Yeah, the International Colorist Academy is formed in 09 with Kevin Shaw and myself. He's based in the UK. I'm here in Australia. We run classroom training, but we're still colorists. So it's probably only half of our time that we're doing the training. That's why we don't always get to all the places people ask us to because we've still got commitments to our clients. And we run a whole host of different training from software through to uh, looks, through to color management, monitor calibration, HDR, ASUS, all that, all those details can be found at iColorist.com. And 
I think uh, the big thing, obviously, about the classroom training is you're in a group. So you're bouncing ideas off of people, which is, which is good to be in that environment. And like I said earlier, you're in there for eight hours. You can't go and pick up something else. So you are there to learn. And that's what I try to do. And that's what we try and do with the talking to the camera for FX PhD is right, come on. I've got you for 20 minutes now. Let's just look at this. Look at it through once, then maybe look at it slowly, get the footage and practice. So they're, they're very similar. I often get people who come to the online classes, uh, sorry, come to the classroom and say, I've taken FX PhD and I like that, so I've come to a class. So I think it's just an extension of that, which is a, which is a good fit. It helps to feed and people come to the classroom and then go, oh, I missed a few things. Maybe I'll buy the online, the FX PhD, and follow up. So it's a win-win, I think. Yeah, it is. And um, also your podcast. You're, you, you've done a, yeah. kind of a series of uh, podcasts when you're doing uh, traveling around the world or, or so forth. Why don't you talk about yeah, those a bit because they're kind of cool. They are kind of cool. I, I sort of talk about a lot of things and they take a few years to happen. But one of my ideas was instead of, like I'd love to have flown and had a chat with you to do this, but it's not always possible. <laughs> but because I'm traveling around, I do have the chance to go in physically into the facility. So not Skype like this. We go in and we talk to the colorist in their grading room about how they got there. And funny enough, a lot of the people I've talked to so far are not born in the country where they're now working. So they've moved. And we talk about software they're using, what inspires them, how do they keep at the top of their game every day, what do they think about emerging new camera formats, digital versus film. We look at maybe a show they've just worked on. And then after that, we go out to a bar or a restaurant in their local area where they go, observe the people, look at the things they look at, and talk about what inspires them. It's it's not incredibly geeky or tech. It's quite relaxed. If someone comes to talk to us in the street, they do. I, Bar I, people keep coming up giving us drinks. You know. I find it absolutely shocking that you'd be, find, end up in a pub talking to someone. I, I just say outrageous, isn't it? I know some people <laughs> won't listen because of that. They think it's totally unprofessional. But, you know, hey. It's got some personality in, and it's a good vibe. Well, I enjoy it. Hopefully. So that is... Uh, the Color Tour podcast. So if you just search for Warren Eagle's Color Tour, you'll find it on iTunes. And it's also on the iColorist.com website as well. Yeah, so you've got all that stuff there. Visit uh, iColorist.com to get more information about his uh, in-person uh, classes, the podcasts, and more. It's uh, um, you know, good information. And hopefully uh, those of you who've uh, purchased uh, some of the FXBHC training can actually get to one of the uh, in-person training events where yeah, you'll great. just get. It'd be great to see people. I get a lot of people coming up to me at trade shows. If I'm at IBC or NAB, thanking me for introducing them to color and getting them started through FXPHD, which is good. It's always good to chat to those guys and, you know, good to hear about what they're doing and what they're working on. So always welcome feedback from from students who have taken the lessons. Well, Warren, I really appreciate the, you taking the time to chat with us and get us up to date. I mean, I really appreciate and respected our partnership that we've had over the years. Um, it's came, again, you mentioned how long ago it was. I still can't believe it, but um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really a great thing. And, and I really love the training you do. It's really top notch. So uh, thanks so much for that. 
No, it's cool. I, I remember having a meeting with you and Mike back there in Sydney and whenever it was, and Mike said, we're going to be doing a podcast. I said, Pod, what's a podcast? <laughs> like, he had to explain that before he explained what an online university was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, still fun. We're still laughing, so that's good. It is, it is. Well, hopefully we can uh, – uh, I know he, he, uh, Warren actually came, came through Chicago a while back, but I was actually out of town traveling. So hopefully sometime Warren, our paths will cross once again. We'll be in the same city. Definitely. So. Great chatting, John. All right. Thanks. Take care. See you, buddy. Bye. Well, that wraps things up for this episode of The Render Queue. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen all the way to the end. Uh, I do want to point out that I'm going to be heading off to the VIEW conference in Italy, and I'm going to be recording a bunch of interviews that will be rolling out over the coming months here as part of The Render Queue podcast. Really excited about that. Our podcast was also approved by the iTunes store, so if you want to subscribe in iTunes, you can do that now. There should be a link right below the player on the page from which you can download this and listen to this. So once you get that entered in your phone or whatever, then you don't need to visit the site, of course, and the podcast episodes will download automatically for you. Well, until next time, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and have a great week. Bye. You've been listening to The Render Queue from fxphd.com. Follow us on Twitter at fxphd and at johnmontfx. Or drop us a line by clicking the contact link at the top of the FXPHD website.